0: All right, if you'll turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter number 18. Matthew chapter number 18 will continue in our study of the book of Matthew. And we'll be looking this morning at verses 11 through 14. Matthew chapter number 18, verses 11 through 14. Let's read those verses together. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and ninety-nine which went not astray. Even so, It is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. At the outset of our study of Matthew 18, in a response to the question that the disciples asked regarding who was the greatest in the kingdom of God, Jesus continually has repeated and stressed the need for those that would be his followers to be converted and to be his children. Uh, Not converted in the spiritual sense, although to be one of his followers would, of course, be converted savingly, but converted in their way of thinking. Converted in the way of thinking in a humble way, as Jesus described, to become as children. You'll recall that Jesus had called a little child into his midst, and he had set him there, and he used the child as an example of how the child is dependent upon his or her parents. But then he spoke about the terrible judgment that would come upon those who lead any of his little ones astray. Now it's important to remember that word astray because in the parable that Jesus gets here, he uses, or gives rather, he uses the expression in verse 12, those that which is gone astray this is not a random use of the word astray he is using it in the same context about the protection of the little ones those that were his own now as a little child not in a physical sense but in a spiritual sense of course is what jesus was referring to So when we get to verse 11, we have to ask ourselves the question, it almost seems a bit out of place. However, I would suggest to you that it is not because it goes right along with the text. Notice in verse 11, there's this declaration made that the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Uh, we might say, why does it appear here? Why in the middle of this uh, conversation, this discourse on becoming his little children, would he now use what we often refer to as one of the great evangelistic verses in all of Scripture? However, as we'll look at this this morning, uh, this, although it doesn't seem to fit with the context here, it goes perfectly along with what Jesus is teaching regarding these little ones and their being led astray. Uh, At first glance, uh, it does seem uh, to fit well uh, when we think about a shepherd and we think about a shepherd looking for a lost sheep. Uh, I would tell you this morning, I do not believe that Matthew here is writing about an evangelistic term here or an evangelistic seeking in this context, but he's talking about the shepherding of his disciples. Uh, This parable in similar language is also found in Luke chapter 15 verses 4 through 7, and when we read that account, we see much more of a greater picture of evangelism as Jesus is seated eating with sinners. Uh, In this particular case, Jesus has been sitting primarily with his disciples, and so he gives this parable uh, and he uses this example. Now, some people say, well, that's a contradiction. <clears throat> there's, there's no contradiction. Jesus used the example of sheep um, in various applications, and it would be like a preacher or a person saying uh, a preacher can only use one example to illustrate one truth sheep have been described as a means of evangelism, evangelism and also of shepherding those who are already the sheep and those in which he is pursuing and so there is not a contradiction here but i do believe that matthew uh, is not representing here lost sheep or people who have never come to faith but those who are part of the flock and have wandered away Um, Even David, in that psalm we read from our call to worship, he himself declared, I have went astray. I have moved away from you. And we would not say that David was an unbeliever. Uh, But the sheep here in Matthew 18 is one who already belongs to the shepherd. Now again, Jesus uses uh, the illustration of sheep or flocks on a bigger example or bigger illustrations than just one, used on more than one occasion. So I believe that when Jesus is speaking here in verse 11 about coming to save that which was lost, followed up by this parable about a shepherd seeking a lost sheep, he's showing here towards his disciples his concern for them. And so that really is the context in what we're looking at this morning. Um, So this natural response of a shepherd as the owner of a flock, if one of those sheep goes astray. Now, remember what the warning was earlier in the chapter, that anyone who causes offense to one of these little ones, or one of them that causes them to uh, go astray, or causes them to go out of the way, there is a judgment that's pronounced upon them. So I believe that Jesus is telling this parable in the context of one of the little ones being led astray. And so the natural response of a shepherd is to go after that lost one, to go after that one who has wandered away. Uh, Jesus was clearly saying here that if one of his little ones were indeed led astray, he would seek for them and he would bring them back. No one who is truly the Lord's will be led away for eternity. He will keep his sheep safe. He will not let us wander away from his fold without coming to retrieve that which belongs to him. Again, Jesus said earlier back in verse 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that the offenses come. But woe to that man by whom whom the offense comes. Cometh, back in verse 6, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. Remember he gave the illustration of tying a millstone around your neck. It would be better for that man to drown than to face the consequences of what he'll face for leading one of my little ones away. So we see that in our text, the very last phrase in verse 14 that we read, Jesus clearly declares that one of these little ones should perish. He has not changed the context. He has not changed the narrative. It's not as if he suddenly switched over to evangelism and moved away from his concern for his little ones. He's still dealing with his little ones. And it's the little one who's already one of his that's being led astray, and it's the one that he goes looking for and the one he goes seeking. And Jesus so clearly declares, even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So again, we do see that expression in verse 11, that the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, we do understand the doctrines of the Word of God. We understand the doctrine of election. We understand that uh, we were sought Uh, spiritually, eternally, by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no question about that. But contextually, that's not what the primary emphasis here. But he is giving another strong reason why the little ones should not be despised, not only by the world, but by others, by us as believers. We should not despise new believers. We shouldn't despise other believers. Uh, Because Christ, who is met here by the Son of Man, came into the world to save those little ones. He came to save them. And if he had that concern for them, then why should we not have the same concern for them? Why should we despise them? He came into the world to save these people who were lost in the sin of Adam, just like you and I were. And yet, it was by their own sin, by their own transgression that they fell into this great uh, temptation to, to be away and to move away from the Lord. So if God the Father had such a high regard for these little ones, that before the foundation of the world, they were chosen in him to send his son to procure and secure their eternal salvation, how much more should we be concerned and care for these little ones? Christ loved those little ones. Christ came into the world, and think about what he endured. He endured the sorrows of the cross. He endured the sufferings and the scourgings. He endured the punishment that was deserved for you and I, suffering death itself. They were lost. They needed his righteousness, and yet he saved them with an everlasting salvation, with a salvation that can never be taken away. So the utmost diligence and care should be taken to not despise any of God's children. We shouldn't grieve them. We shouldn't despise them. We shouldn't injure them in any way. Now, this is important because these verses lead into, again, the context stays the same when we introduce next week about dealing with offenses towards one another. And we know that these thoughts are connected because in verse 15, he uses the word moreover. That's a carry on concept. He's not, again, he's not changing the subject. He's been dealing with humility, with the answer to the question in the beginning of the chapter who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Nothing has changed. These verses are all related. So this is going to lead us very naturally into our text next week when we deal with offenses towards brethren. So we see Jesus in verse 12 ask them a very pointed question. How think ye? This just simply means, what do you think? What's your opinion of this matter? What's your sense of it? How does this appear to you? We might phrase it. What do you think about the whole of what you've heard? Then Christ, again, is going to appeal to his disciples. Remember, he's appealing to his disciples. He wants them to judge the matter for themselves. What do you think? And he illustrates it by giving them a familiar parable, a familiar story they would have fully understood what a shepherd was. They would fully understand what sheep were, and they would fully understand what it means that if one got out, what would that man do to go and find that sheep? He wouldn't just simply say, well, let him be. He goes and seeks it. So he's not using something that was not culturally relevant. It was completely within the norm that they would understand what he was talking about. So he gives a very common illustration. If a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, now who, the shepherd, the shepherd is the one that would go and look for them. Remember in John chapter number 10, we have the parable of the sheep and we have that beautiful uh, narrative of Jesus being declared as the shepherd of the sheep. And it's in comparison to the hireling. The hireling who will not give his life for the sheep, the hireling who just simply is hired to earn a wage. It's not the hireling that will go looking for that sheep, it's the shepherd, it's the owner of the sheep who will go. Those who are truly under the care of the shepherd can be assured that Jesus will come looking for those who go astray. The shepherd owns the sheep. We should be concerned. We should be very concerned when anyone is led astray. Any that are of the little ones, those that belong to the Lord, any that are led astray, we should be very concerned about that. And it should not be something we take lightly. Now, in those days, it was very common that the sheep were always arranged in orders of a hundred So when he uses this expression, he wasn't just pulling a random number out and said, if a man has a hundred sheep, he was using it because that's how they ordered them. They ordered them in groups of a hundred. So he says, I want you to think about one of those flocks and a hundred of them, and one of them is astray or is gone astray. So he wants them to understand that. So he puts this case before them. Now, how likely is it or was it in those days for one or more of a hundred sheep to wander. It was quite common. As a matter of fact, the shepherds expected that at some point they were going to have to leave the rest of them and go out into the fields and into the mountains and find that one because they are prone to wander. Sheep are prone to wander. And in a spiritual sense, we as his sheep are prone to wander. That's why what David said there in that call to worship in Psalm 119, 176, he said, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Even David, as the shepherd himself, he understood. He understood what it meant to a sheep to go astray. Seek thy servant. David's request was, Lord, seek after me who've gone astray. For I do not forget thy commandments. Even though David said, I've gone astray, he says, Lord, seek after me. I haven't forgotten your commandments. Now notice Jesus goes on in the illustration and he says, doth he not leave the 90 and 9? Now again, we're very quick at looking at what we, what we interpret this to mean. And he says, Doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains? The, the ninety-nine are declared as those which have not gone astray and remain, they remain where they are. It was the usual moat, uh, operation of the shepherd to leave the rest to go after one. The allusion to going into the mountains was not just an illusion of some illustration. The mountains, they were in mountainous regions. It was very common that that's where the sheep would go. They would go into the mountains. There were pastures for the sheep. They were naturally going to those places. Oftentimes, it's been said that these sheep would wander from mountain to mountain. They would just keep wandering and wander further and further away. That's why when the sheep came up missing, one came missing, the shepherds would almost immediately and automatically go into the mountains because that's where they were often found. Why was he going? Seeking that which has gone astray. The method go out seeking. The parable now considered, again, we can look at this from the perspective of the illustration of how the Son of Man came into the world to seek and to save his lost sheep. We know that the doctrine of election teaches us that there are some that are the Lord's and some that are not. However, even the house of Israel was referred to as the lost sheep of the house of Israel and that there were certain ones of the house of Israel who would be redeemed, but there were others who would not be. As a matter of fact, those lost sheep that were redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ were despised by the Jews. They were despised by the Pharisees. They were despised by the scribes as being uh, ones that were no longer part of the house of Israel, but now belonged to Jesus. Now, I want to read you a a combined commentary that is from John Gill and Benjamin Keach. Now, these both of these men are uh, from many, many years ago, and they take the position and I'm going to share this with you about who they believe that the 90 and nine that are mentioned here in Matthew 18 refer to. Now this has been the typical, okay, reformed Baptist position on who the 99 are in verse number 12. So I'm going to read their account, and we'll leave it at that. He says, "And by the 90 and nine, we are to understand and are meant, are, we are to understand that the 90 and nine are meant the entire body of the Jewish nation, the far greater part of them, the scribes and Pharisees who rejected the Messiah and despised those that believed in Him. These were in sheep's clothing of the flock of the house of Israel, of the Jewish fold, and with respect to the remnant among them, according to the election of grace, were as ninety-nine to one. These were left by Christ and taken no notice of by him in comparison of the little ones, the lost sheep of the house of Israel he came to save. These ninety and nine he left on the mountains feeding on their own works and self-righteousness. In order to obtain the salvation of his chosen ones, designed by the one sheep that was gone astray, who strayed from God, from his law, the rule of their walk, out of his way, into the ways of sin, which are of their own choosing and approving. The intention of this parable is to set forth the great regard God has to persons that believe in Christ. Whom he would not have stumbled have stumbled and offended. He takes special care of them, that they shall not perish, even as the shepherd of the flock of the sheep is more concerned for one straying one than for the other ninety-nine that remain left to themselves. So they took the position that these ninety-and-nine were not ones that were simply safe, they were ones who the Lord left to themselves. And simply said, these are the ones that their own self-righteousness, their own works of the law, they're depending upon. Remember, the little one is the one that was being despised. And he was gone astray. And so that's been the typical reform position on that, that the ninety and nine that are mentioned here with are reference to those who were not. Uh, chosen by Christ before the foundation of the world. And I'm going to show you in a moment how that's connected with what Luke is saying in his account of this same parable because of the language that he uses. So let's move on and look at verse 13, and we'll come back to that in a moment. And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Now this, if so be that he find it, <coughs> For a typical shepherd in the real world, there was no guarantee that that shepherd would find that lost sheep. He might search every mountaintop. He might search every pasture. He might search every field. But humanly speaking, there was no guarantee that the shepherd would find that lost sheep. But folks, that's not the case with Christ. There are none of his sheep that are ultimately lost that he will never find. There is nobody who is going to miss heaven because Christ missed them. He couldn't find them. Christ is not like the shepherd who is human and doesn't know where to look. He doesn't know where to go. There's a guarantee and a promise that these little ones, those that are in Christ, those that the world despises, those that the world hates, Christ will not let them go astray. Verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep. He rejoices more at finding it than he does of the ninety and nine which went not astray. As mentioned there in the introduction, this same parable is related in Luke 15, 3. And there it's more largely illustrated that those who seemed not to go astray were those who were outwardly righteous before man and in their own opinion, being these are the same ninety and nine persons who needed no repentance, Luke 15.7 says. If you look at that account there, you'll see that we look at that phrase, those who needed no repentance, this doesn't mean that they were were already in the fold. This means these were the ninety and nine who didn't think they needed repentance. They just were relying on their own works. That parable in Luke 15, verse 1, notice it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for, to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. The audience is a bit different. He's talking more now to the Pharisees and the scribes that are murmuring at the reality that Jesus is sitting with sinners. The Pharisees and scribes thought that was one of the grossest things you could do was sit with a sinner because they didn't think they were sinners. And yet, when Jesus gives this parable, he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? Now there he's using an example of sheep in the physical realm, right? It's the physical realm, but he's using the same example, but he's using the same examples to Pharisees. Pharisees who are not one of God's sheep. Pharisees who are not one of his. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance." In this example, those clearly, he is pointing to the reality that that one sinner that repents is much greater than the 99 just persons who are just in their own ways and in their own works. That's the same concept and the same illustration he's using in Matthew. These 99 just people who don't need repentance are people that don't believe they need it at all. They think they're already okay. Keepers of the law. This parable, although delivered twice by the Lord on two different occasions, one time here in Matthew 18 in his discourse on offenses against the little ones, and in the context in Luke, he's mentioning this also in the context of his coming into the world to save lost sinners. Same illustration, same parable to two different groups. That doesn't make it a contradiction. Many, many preachers I know use different the same illustration in different ways. So here the Pharisees remember what the context is, they were murmuring at Jesus receiving sinners. Jesus is using this to teach them the reality of what was happening before them. Now we know that sheep absolutely positively need a shepherd why because they are prone to wander they're to, they prone they're prone to wander randomly they're prone to wander without taking regard for what hazards may be in their way they easily become lost and when they do a sheep separated from the fold from the flock becomes a very easy target doesn't it don't they they become very easy there's no protection there's nothing going to keep them from the danger There's nothing going to keep them from falling off of a cliff, falling into a stream, falling into a ravine, whatever it might be. This is the very idea Jesus is teaching here, that that little one that goes astray, I'm going to go after them. Verse 14, even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven. And notice again that one of these little ones should perish. Very clearly, he's identifying those that are his. This is the application of the parable of the lost sheep to the present purpose. First of all, we see that Christ observes and he teaches that in order to keep any from despising and offending his disciples, that they are continually under his protection. He himself, Jesus Christ, is the shepherd. It is not the will of the Father that one of these little ones should perish. Now again, he's not talking about that they won't die physically, but eternally, spiritually, they will not die. Jesus Christ himself came, took on that robe of human flesh, fully man and fully God, became the author of salvation. And he carries out the will of the Father. Folks, this is the great source and the security of our happiness is to know that Jesus Christ is our shepherd. I highly doubt, I highly doubt, unless it may be for the very young that are here today, I highly doubt there's a one of us that has not wandered away at some point in our Christian life. I would not be surprised that even if us this group that's sitting here this morning, that There's someone that we know who has wandered away. There's someone who's thinking about wandering away. There's someone who's growing tired and growing uh, just cold and indifferent towards the things of God and are prone to haphazardly wander away. (coughs) Jesus Christ will not let one of his own wander away. He has them in his constant care. And if one wanders away from the fold, he will go looking for them. Now, is this that license to test and see? I'm going to just wander away and see if Jesus comes looking for me. That's not the intended meaning. But again, if you have never wandered or went astray, I applaud you for that, humanly speaking. But I highly doubt that that's true. We are prone to wander. We are prone to be distracted. We are prone to be, our heads are turned by nearly anything that catches our eye. People shift like the shifting sand on a seashore. People are one day they're, they're all in for God, and the next day they seemingly have been taken out to sea and they're gone. That sand that was on the shore when that, when that wave came in, and then as soon as that wave goes out, that sand that came in goes right back into the ocean. They shift so easily. I think it's one of the dangers that we face as Christians and believers that we think that we're not prone to that. We're all prone to wander. And one of the great cautions and one of the great admonitions I think we all need to hear this morning is that we should not despise even one of God's little ones that do stray. And say things like, well, I knew they were never authentic anyway. They were never a real believer. If they're one of his, he's not going to let them stay astray. He's going after them. If he doesn't despise them, why do we despise them? Because we have a little bit of Pharisee in us. We have a little bit of, that's not going to happen to me. I'm too spiritual to wander away. I'm too spiritual to be like the shifting sand. Your guarantee of eternal happiness is the fact that Jesus Christ is your shepherd. That he will not let you go if you're one of his. He's called you. He has secured you. No one that is truly one of Christ's sheep shall finally and totally fall away and eternally perish. Even though our sinful corruptions continue, even though Satan and his demons will continue to tempt us, even when the reproach and the persecution of mankind continues to increase, Even if we have an error in judgment like the apostle Peter did and he denied the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ did not let Peter go. Peter was wandering. David in Psalm 119 was wandering. David declared himself to be, I am a lost sheep who went astray. Seek after me. The Bible tells us in Philippians 1 6 that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is a great reminder this morning that God never starts a work in someone and doesn't finish it. He doesn't start his work in you and then say, No, I'm finished. You're not one of mine after all. I've decided you're too wicked. Your thoughts are too corrupt. You're too depraved. No, he who begins a good work in you will finish it and perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Brethren, if you are truly regenerate this morning and you are truly in Christ Jesus, and again, some people often say this, why do you preach messages on wandering away if we're, seat, we're sitting here, we're seated, sit, sat here today, we're with you, we're seated here? Because you can sit every week in a church, and have wandered away a long time ago. It is a glorious thing to be present in the house of the Lord. It's a glorious thing to be with other people of God. But to think that we don't need to hear messages about strain because that's not us. That goes right back to the context of what Jesus has been talking about. Humility. This is, this is the same context he's been talking about but I will not let one of mine go. As the shepherd of the sheep, I will not let you go. He will bring you back. Jesus identified himself not only as the Son of Man, but in John chapter 10, verses 11 and 14, he identified himself not only as the shepherd, but as the good shepherd. You realize that in those days, every shepherd was not a good shepherd. That's why Jesus, when he gave the illustration of the true shepherd and the hirelings, that also was not far-fetched. There were owners who would simply even hire out their shepherds. And when danger would come, that hireling would flee. But Jesus says in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Not only does he know the sheep, but the sheep know him. People often make such a grand mistake with the doctrine of election when they say, how do I know I'm one of of the elect? Because you know him. It's as simple as that. That was one of the great questions that Spurgeon was asked a number of times. How do I know I'm elect? And he would simply ask them, do you know him? See, the sheep are not just owned and they don't know it. His sheep, John 10 says, they know his voice. They obey his voice. Election is not this convoluted mess that people want you to think it is. It's very clear what that means. It's very clear that the sheep know him so that even when the shepherd comes looking for that sheep that went astray, he knows his shepherd's voice. He doesn't wonder who's calling him. He doesn't wonder who's bringing him back into the fold. He doesn't wonder who it is that picked him up and put him on his shoulders to carry him back. He knows him. You see, we are the sheep of his pasture. One of the Psalms so beautifully illustrates it. We are his sheep, and we were bought at a very precious price the price of his blood. Jesus Christ will not let one of his little ones stray and stay away. He will bring them back into the fold, He will bring them back unto himself. And we have a great assurance of that this morning, that he is, in fact, our great and good shepherd. Next week, I'd like for you, if you are able this week, to kind of prepare for our study. I hope you're doing this every week. But in Matthew 18, if you'll start looking and reading verses 15 down through 20, we're going to deal next week with how to deal with offenses towards one another, the proper way to handle when we're offended. We're not only going to deal with the person who is the offender, but the one who has been offended, because there is two sides to this. This is the, mat, this is the mode in which churches are to function. And sadly, this is not the way most things happen. Jesus was very clear as to how offenses between brothers should happen. And so we're gonna study that next week. So again, if you'll prepare yourself for that, uh, we'll look forward for that message uh, next week. All right, well, let's finish uh, by singing, I think, an appropriate.